Along with being full of festive cheer, this episode contains two instances of a potentially offensive word within the story and may not be suitable for all listeners. Hello there, and welcome to Grim Reading, where each episode we read and review a brother's grim tale. My name is Matthew Hughes, and with me on this journey is my co-host, Mr. Adam Field. This week on Grim Reading, Christmas Special 2020. So make yourself comfortable and prepare for a Grim Reading. Hello. Hello. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas, everybody. Uh, Welcome to the annual Grim Reading Christmas Party. It is, again, I think my favourite episode. It's just so much fun. Yeah, it's becoming a bit of a tradition as well. It is, yeah. Enjoying it. Things are a little different this year, obviously. Yes, this is our first, hopefully only, virtual Christmas Grim Reading Party over the internet. It wasn't possible to meet up in time, but as promised, you, me and Mother Hole, we're having a get-together. Oh yes, we are. That's going to be as fun as ever. You say Mother Hole, I don't (laughs) think it's snowing outside. (laughs) She's not making her bed. No, she's not making a bed. Not yet, but fingers crossed. But it is very cold. It's very wintry outside the castle. Mm. So one of the implications of that is that we've had to get our own festive sort of Christmas party setup. So I'm curious, what have you got? What goodies have you got? Yeah, so so there's um, there's a bunch of things we normally tick off on our our Christmas podcast. So to try and make it feel like a, a normal episode... Uh, I've got with me here, I've got a lovely box of mince pies, of course. Yummy. I've got a Christmas cracker, which, if you're not from the UK, they are supposed to be pulled between two peoples. That should be interesting. Um, <laughs> and I've got uh, the classic bottle of port, the very same bottle of port that we've had uh, for the previous two Christmas oh, really? specials. So I'm looking forward to pouring myself out a glass. I've got nice. a cup of tea here. Um, oh, a lovely candle Sorted. on the go. That's, that's, that's basically my Christmas setup. I've got a nice Christmas jumper on. So that, that's what I've got going on at uh, this end. What's, what's going on at, uh, at your castle? Similar deal. Yeah. Got a mince pie, but I've got it out and ready to go. Oh, it's ready to go. It's <laughs> ready to go, yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, I've got, uh, got a tangerine. Got oh, yeah. A, a couple Classic. of Lindor on the go. Oh, he's got, he's oh, got Christmas chockies. I've got, uh, well, fortunately, I've got a brand new bottle of port, unopened. Very nice. And I've got, uh, I've got a couple of crackers. I've got two crackers, just just <laughs> auxiliary cracker. Right, you, why have you got two? Any, just to outdo, <laughs> or just you're not happy with the first gift, or it's yeah. like missing something, yeah. Fair there, enough. There are, yeah. One of them is the one we had last year, and one of them is the one we had the year before. Oh, no way. So clearly I don't have any other friends. <laughs> that's a sad story. That's tragic. What a sad picture you paint. <laughs> I, I, was it the first year that we had the mm. mystery of the the missing joke, joke gate, as it was uh, yeah. otherwise referred to? And we never got to the bottom of that, By did nobody. we? So, yeah, no. well, we can, we can crack one of those crackers open and see Absolutely, you might be missing, missing a joke. joke. Well, I've got one other thing. What have that, you got there? This was actually going to be uh, a Christmas present to you. Oh. In our Christmas party, we give each other presents. It's true. It's the tradition. Couldn't get this to you this year, so I think I'm going to have it. It's <laughs> it's a bottle of <laughs> bad elf ale. Bad elf. 
that it's got an illustration on the front on the label of a very bad looking elf. What is he doing? Is he he's saying, rough. "Come here"? He's come a rough elf. Why is it? He's a bad uh, elf. I just it's six percent. It's kind of knocked me out. <laughs> yeah, bad bad elf dry hop ale. Oh wow, so it looks lovely. It's going to be yours. Well, thanks oh, for um, sort of yeah, rubbing it in my face. That's all right. It's the gonna... Christmas spirit, isn't it? Yeah. I'm gonna crack that open. Uh, I'm gonna pour myself a glass of port. I think. Oh wow! I uh, I appear to have poured quite a large <laughs> glass. Cheers! Merry Cheers. Christmas! Merry Christmas! Happy season! Merry holidays! Happy winter. What he said. Sorry, yes. I was oh. necking my beer. Ah, oh, the port is just delightful. Bad Elf is hitting the spot as well. Is it? Yeah. I don't think port goes off, does it? It's alcohol. It's got sedimentation <laughs> in the bottom, though. That's a bit uh, unsettling. Oh, well, I'm sure it's safe to drink. Cracker time? I think, yeah, next next on the agenda is cracker time. So <laughs> let's have a look at your... your which one are you going to pull? I'll pull the little mini one. Is that the one from last that, Christmas? No, the one before. The one before? Oh, so there might be a missing joke. Oh, uh, looks lovely. Got to see Father right. Christmas. I've got, got Father Christmas with a reindeer here. Oh, lovely. Right, okay. Three, two, two one. one, go. Oh, dear. Oh. Oh, boy. What have we got here? What have we got here? Well, you've got the, the customary little uh, rustly paper crown. We do. And I think I'm right in set. We've both got purple ones. That's oh, amazing. Oh, no way. <laughs> How serendipitous. What does it mean? It, it is, and it is entirely incompatible with my headphones. Like, likewise. <laughs> Did you get a joke? Because, so as we say every year, uh, Christmas crackers, seasonal thing here in yep. the UK. Uh, you crack them open. They've got three things inside. What do they have? Hat. Check. Little funny present. Yes, check. And a joke. And a joke. We've both got jokes this year, have we? I've got one. Excellent. What do you call a one-eyed dinosaur? A one-eyed dinosaur? <gasps> or do you think he's Horus? Hey! <laughs> <laughs> well done. All right, that's one yes. nil. Can I guess your one? Okay, go for it. Where does Santa keep his money? His sack? Um, <laughs> his, um, what? Why would he keep his money in his sack? <laughs> Isn't that full of sack. presents for the children? That's true. He's not going to keep his money there, too. I don't actually get this. <laughs> okay, well, then I'm never going to work out. What's the, what's the punchline? A snowbank. <laughs> what does that mean? What does, does that, that mean? Does that mean, like... A bank of snow, like as in, as in like a snowdrift. Yeah, yeah. who calls it a snowbank? Well, right. that's not. You know what? That is Th appalling. That's my one wasn't even festive. <laughs> I, I'm gonna. Crack yeah, open. that's true. Actually, yeah, <laughs> that is so true. Okay, he's pulling a second cracker. That's indulgent. Oh, hello. Okay, are Here you gonna go. put? Uh, please wear two hats. <laughs> this is a slightly more upmarket cracker. <laughs> so I've got a lovely. Little wooden robin. Oh, uh, yes. Very nice. Christmas decoration. There we go. Johnny Two Hats. There jo we go. Oh, it's old Johnny Two Hats. Right. Joke time. <laughs> this is not even... It's not festive either. 
What do you call <laughs> a cow that plays the guitar? A musician. <laughs> oh, two nil. <laughs> yeah. Well played, sir. Oh, yeah. Nice. That, well, that's so weird. Neither of them are festive jokes. What are they playing at? Or funny. <laughs> no, that's Crucially. Not Christmas, all jokes. Um, and I don't know what you've got for a gift in the first one, but I've got here... What is that? An, a pirate eye patch with a bit of elastic I've got to tie on myself. You're a busy man. <laughs> I've got, got time to tie, tie my own eye patch. With a skull and crossbones on it. <laughs> yeah. But the, pirates don't have a skull and crossbones on their eye patch. They have it on their flag. They t- no, no, they don't. <laughs> what is that? Well, uh, we may be apart, Adam. Sad yes. as it is to say, but it is sad. We've still managed to ferry some gifts over to each other. We have. So ordinarily, we'd be together and we'd be we'd have uh, a lovely wrapped present or two to uh, to give to each other. But of course, we couldn't do that this year. So we've had. Uh, we sort of sent gifts through the British Postal Service to each other's <laughs> castles. And, um, they can yeah, do that now. I, I, th- I believe mine's arrived at Matt's castle. I've got Matt's yeah. here at my uh, table. So I guess that means it's, uh, it's probably present time. Let's do it. Right. Who is going oh. first? I don't know, do you want to go first? I'm still wrestling with this port bottle. I'll unwrap. Well, I say unwrap. Unbox Matt's present. So it's quite, it's quite light. I've absolutely no idea what's in here. Tucking into a mince pie. Oh, okay. Matt's eating the mince pie. Okay, I see some bubble wrap. Mm. What have we got? Oh, have you got him? I'm in. I'm okay. in. Okay. All right. Oh, that is amazing. That's actually incredible. What we have here. Oh, it looks great. Okay, so Matt hasn't actually seen it yet because no, it's obviously been sent it. straight to my uh, residence. It is my very own grim reading Christmas bauble. I ge- genuinely, that's amazing. That's it's so massive. Cool. It's gigantic. It's huge. It's as big as my head. Well, not quite. But um, so it's it's uh, yeah, tra- very traditional looking, uh, quite large bauble with uh, Ruth Spears' uh, wonderful illustration, grim reading illustration that you've probably already seen uh on both sides that looks so cool thank you, you so like much it? matt oh yes. you're welcome that's fantastic you're very welcome yeah i still need to get my uh christmas tree this year so this will have pride of place on that oh great i'm glad i yeah. love it meanwhile i got a little port on the go hey, hey he's into the port right i'm gonna find my gift here we go okay is it time shall i open i think it's time i think you should okay I think I should oh. also crack into a mince pie. Oh, <laughs> it's a book. Okay. Oh, no way. That is fantastic. <laughs> Russian fairy tales. Yes. That is excellent. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. It's a meaty, meaty book. Um, yeah. It's huge. And I, I know for a fact, so this will be from Alexander... Yes. Asfan Asev. That's right, yes. So he was the sort of, I guess you could say, the Russian Brothers Grimm. He was inspired by the Brothers Grimm. Um, yeah. And I, I mentioned in our Grimm Fables, in our patron-only podcast, a couple of months ago after the biography episode had come out, I mentioned, that, uh, I mentioned Russian fairy tales and Adam's yes. face lit up. 
And he got very yeah, excited. Who, that, that sounds amazing. <laughs> Russian fairy tales. <laughs> um, and yeah, and I promised him some Russian fairy tales in the future. And I know for a fact that he, he, um, he collected about 600. I think he collected the most out of all... Oh, wow. Uh, okay. And I think... All of them are in here, possibly. Well, I think Maybe it not said quite. around 200 are in oh, that book. All right. it's, the, well, it's the biggest collection I could find, though, of Russian fairy tales. There are other books available, but that's the biggest collection, I think. This is great, and it actually book. matches my, uh, my Norwegian fairy tale book. It does. It's I thought same. I'd seen that design yeah. as well. Oh, it's absolutely fantastic. I love it, man. I absolutely love it. Well, funnily enough, this is kind of... Perfect, because okay. <laughs> I was going to tell you at the end, but uh, I kind of have a, I guess, another gift for you, you could say. Oh, I'm planning to have a Christmas takeover of the Grim Fables podcast. That's right. It's normally it's normally my domain, but uh, I think for December, you're going to take it over. Yeah. So last year in the Grim Fables, after our Christmas episode, I read you an amazing Norwegian fairy tale set on Christmas Eve because I just wanted to tell you and I thought it'd be fun. This year, I actually, after you mentioned Russian fairy tales, you got excited. I just had a very brief look online and I came across a Russian Christmassy fairy tale. No way! Yes! yes! Come on! <laughs> oh, I can't wait. So we're going to, yeah, after, after this, there's going to be a little after party. Where we're going to have, uh, for patrons, we're going to have a, a Russian Christmas fairy tale. So this is oh, perfect. I'm so excited. Wow, that's tied in perfectly. So the competition that we've been running for the last few months is now over, of course, and we will be reading some of the entries and revealing the winner later in the podcast. But first, it's time for a Christmas story. I'm uh, every year. I take it easy. I relax. And Adam brings us the festive cheer with a Christmas fairy tale that he's found. I've no idea what it is outside of the Brothers Grimm canon. Correct. They don't really have any, apart from Mother So Hole. what ones have we heard so far? So uh, this is our third Christmas party. True. First Christmas party, we had The Little Girl and the Winter Whirlwinds. Yes. Bulgarian, I think. That's right. Followed by The Cat on the Dovrafell. Yes. Oh, what a, what a classic. Norwegian fairy tale with some trolls and a bear. Yes. And last year, we had Hans Christian Andersen's The Little Fir Tree. Heartbreaking. You broke the heart. Absolutely heartbreaking. But beautiful. So, what have you got for me? I've got a wonderful book here of Christmas fairy tales. And I narrowed it down to two. And I think I've chosen one. And I have to warn you, it is quite long. That's fine by me. I'm not going anywhere. Exactly. This is, this is like my only Christmas sort of party <laughs> of the year. <laughs> exactly. So, I'm just thrilled to be here. We might as well do it properly. I'm a captive audience. I've got a whole... Plate load of mince pies. Yeah. I'm <laughs> mince a, bottle pies, of, a port. new bottle of ports. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yours. I think, I think we're fine. Okay. Well, with that in mind then, Matt, 
We've been to Bulgaria. Mm. We've been to Norway. We've been to... Where was the last one? <laughs> I can't even remember. Oh, uh, Denmark. Denmark. Well, this year, Matt, we're going to pop over to uh, to Ireland. Nice. How do you feel about that? That's fantastic. I mean, I am officially from this year Irish as well, so it's perfect. That's right. <laughs> it's um, it's great. <laughs> I know. I know. There's a whole world of Irish mythology as well as uh, folklore. So they're you know big storytelling nation. Amazing. Something we've never come across before either. No, I don't think we've actually covered any Irish tales. Oh, so exciting. So, this is an Irish story called The Christmas Cuckoo, and it's by Francis Brown. The Christmas Cuckoo. Once upon a time, there stood in the midst of a bleak moor, in the north country, a certain village. All its inhabitants were poor, for their fields were barren and they had little trade. But the poorest of them were two brothers, called Scrub and Spare, who followed the cobbler's craft and had but one stall between them. It was a hut built of clay and wattles. The door was low and always open by day, for there was no window. The roof did not entirely keep out the rain, and the only thing comfortable about it was a wide hearth for which the brothers could never find wood enough to make a sufficient fire. Oh, goodness me. So they're, they're living in poverty in the yeah. north of the island, and they're, they're cobblers. They're cobblers by trade. Okay, lovely. Two brothers, scrub and spare. Scrub and spare. <laughs> that is fantastic name. <laughs> they're great names, aren't they? Oh. The people of that village were not extravagant in shoes, and better... <laughs> <laughs> you know what they say about those people. <laughs> they're not extravagant in shoes. I've always said that. And better cobblers than scrub and spare might be found. Spiteful people said there were no shoes so bad that they would not be worse for their mending. Nevertheless... Wait, whoa, hang on. That is, that's insulting. So they're saying <laughs> if these shoes are so bad, but if I gave them to you to fix, there's they'd, no, be, wo- they'd be even, even worse. worse. Yeah, that's what hard. they're saying. That's a bad that's Yelp bad review. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> that's... <laughs> Nevertheless, Scrub and Spare managed to live between their own trade, a small barley field, and a cottage garden, till one unlucky day when a new cobbler arrived (gasps) in the village. He had lived in the capital city of the kingdom, and by his own account, cobbled for the queen and the princesses. So he's a high flyer from the big bad, the big smoke. From the big bad city. He's just swooped in, and he (laughs) said, I cobble for the queen. The queen and the princesses. His awls were sharp, his lasts were new. He set up his stall in a neat cottage with two windows. Oh, why is such a high flight? What Money baller. bags here over here with two windows. Splashing the cash. <laughs> Check out my windows. I'm making it rain. <laughs> Check out my windows. <laughs> the villagers soon found out that one patch of his would outwear two of the brothers. In short, all the shoe mending left scrub and spare and went to the new cobbler. The season had been wet and cold, their barley did not ripen well, and the cabbages never half closed in the garden. (laughs) That was their backup. Is that that what cabbage is supposed to do, half close? (laughs) (laughs) But either way, their their sort of plan B is 
out the window. Yeah, and their plan C as well. Oh, man. So the brothers were Plank poor cabbage. that winter. And when Christmas came, they had nothing to feast on but a barley loaf, a piece of rusty bacon, <laughs> <laughs> and some small beer of their own brewing. Worse than that, the snow was very deep and they could get no firewood. Oh, no. The hut stood at the end of the village, and beyond it spread the bleak moor, now all white and silent. But that moor had once been a forest, and great roots of old trees were still to be found in it, loosened mm. from the soil and laid bare by the winds and rains. One of these, a rough, gnarled log, lay hard by their door, the half of it above the snow. And Spare said to his brother, Shall we sit here cold on Christmas while the great root lies yonder? Let us chop mm. it up for firewood. The work will make us warm. So there's a, there's a gnarly old root just outside their house, basically. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Part of an, from an ancient forest. Exactly, that used to be there, now it's just moorland. I'm feeling, you, ma- I'm you've feeling got magical. It. I'm feeling oh, yeah. magical. Oh, you can feel the magic oh, coming on. I can on. feel the magic. <laughs> it might be the port. <laughs> no, said Scrub. It's not right to chop wood on Christmas. Besides, that root is too hard to be broken with any hatchet. It's not right to chop wood on Christmas. Yeah, that, you know the rule, Matt. Don't no, chop no, wood no, on Christmas. No one told me. <laughs> oh. oh, I know. You've been spending oh. your Christmas. Put my axe away. Hard or not, we must have a fire, replied Spare. Come, brother. Help me in with it. Poor as we are, there is nobody in this village will have such a yule log as ours. Scrub liked a little grandeur, and in hopes of having a fine yule log, both brothers strained and strove with all their might till, between pulling and pushing, the great old root was safe on the hearth and beginning to crackle and blaze with the red embers. In high glee, the cobblers sat down to their beer and bacon. (laughs) The door was shut, for there was nothing but cold moonlight and snow outside, but the hut strewn with fir boughs and ornamented with holly, looked cheerful as the ruddy blaze flared up and rejoiced their hearts. Oh, that is so Christmassy. Isn't it? You can't get much more Christmassy than that. Oh, a little cabin that's been sort of lit up uh, atmospherically with the fire, whereas outside everything's covered in snow. This exactly. old Yule log roasting on the fire while they're having the Christmas fire, fair. The red glow. You've got the holly around the hearth. Like uh, beer great. and bacon. It's, I mean, this <laughs> that's is what great. they're eating. It's great. Long life and good fortune to ourselves, brother, <laughs> said Spare. I hope you will drink that toast. And may we never have a worse fire on Christmas. But what is that? Spare set down the drinking horn. <laughs> is he a Viking? <laughs> yeah, why has he got a drink? What is a drinking horn? Wow, that's amazing. I know I'm getting you next Christmas. Drinking horn, please. And the brothers listened amazed, for out of the blazing root they heard cuckoo, cuckoo. As plain cuckoo? as ever, the spring bird's voice came over the moor on a May morning. Wow, it's the Christmas cuckoo. It is something bad, said Scrub, <gasps> terribly frightened. Maybe not, said Spare. And out of the deep hole at the side of which the fire had not reached flew a large grey cuckoo and lit Whoa. on the table before them. Much as the cobblers had been surprised, they were still more so when it said, Good gentlemen, what season is this? <sighs> it's Christmas, said Spare. Then a Merry Christmas to you, said the cuckoo. I went to sleep in the hollow of that old root one evening last summer and never woke till the heart of your fire made me think it was summer again. But now, since you have burned my lodging, let me stay in your hut till the spring comes round. I only want a hole to sleep in, 
And when I go on my travels next summer, be assured I will bring you some present for your trouble. Were there some mushrooms in the log? <laughs> what is going on? It's a talking cuckoo that's come out of the fire mat. What don't you get? Sorry. Ah, <laughs> oh, so so much. I'm loving it though. Yeah. It's a cheery cheery cuckoo as well. What did he say? He's he said a, I, when I when cuckoo. I go if you let me stay here, when I go travelling, I'll get you a gift. That's exactly right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he's he's sound. It's it's fair enough. What he's saying yeah. is, okay. <laughs> you burnt my house. You burnt my house. Okay. <laughs> if you just let me stay, then I'll get you a present and we'll call it quits. Like, <laughs> you that's know. the gist of it. <laughs> <laughs> stay and welcome, said Spare, while Scrub sat wondering if it was something bad or not. Mm. I'll make you a good warm hole in that thatch. But you must be hungry after that long sleep. Here is a slice of barley bread. Come, help us to keep Christmas. <laughs> so the three of them having Christmas That's it. dinner. Scrub, oh. spare, and the Christmas cookie. But scrub, was it scrub? Is a little bit unsure. Was it spare? Uh, that's right. So yeah. so uh, so spare is the one that's sort of not questioning it, just welcoming him, and and uh, and scrub is yeah a little bit dubious. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm. Yeah. I'm. What What it, are you, Team Scrub or Team Spare? <laughs> <laughs> that hashtag Team Scrub. <laughs> You're Team Scrub. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, yeah. I'm a little. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling Christmassy, but there is a slight. There's a worry. There's okay. a slight niggle. But let's sure. see. You know, the cuckoo. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. You're going to give him benefit of the doubt. Yeah. So I'd say if you're going to give him the benefit of the doubt, you're more sort of team spare right now. But we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. We'll I'll, see. Okay. The cuckoo ate up the slice, drank water from the brown jug, for he would take no beer, and flew into a snug hole which spare scooped for him in the thatch of the hut. Scrub said he was afraid it wouldn't be lucky, but as it slept on and the days passed, he forgot his fears. So the snow melted, the heavy rains came, the cold grew less, the days lengthened, and one sunny morning, the brothers were awakened by the cuckoo shouting its own cry to let them know the spring had come. Ah. Now I'm going on my travels, said the bird, over the world to tell men of the spring. There is no country where trees bud or flowers bloom that I will not cry in before the year goes round. That's Give ambitious. Give me another slice of. He's <laughs> <laughs> got he's, brown. He's <laughs> a busy. He's a busy cuckoo. He's got big travel plans. He's <laughs> got loads of tabs open in his little hole in the thatch. Oh yeah, he's <laughs> planning his travels. Yeah, 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 booking his tickets. Yeah. Give me another slice of barley bread to keep me on my journey, and tell me what present I shall bring you at the twelve months' end. Scrub would have been angry with his brother for cutting so large a slice, their store of barley meal being low. But mm. his mind was occupied with what present would be most prudent to ask. At length, a lucky thought struck him. What is it going to be? Good master cuckoo, said he. If a great traveller who sees all the world like you could know of any place where diamonds or pearls were to be found, one of a tolerable size, brought in your beak would help such poor men as my brother and I to provide something better than barley bread for your next entertainment. I know oh, wow. nothing of diamonds or pearls, said the cuckoo. They are in the hearts of rocks and the sands of rivers. My knowledge is only of that which grows on the earth. But there are two trees hard by the well that lies at the world's end. Whoa. One of them is called the golden tree, for its leaves are all beaten gold. Every winter they fall into the well with a sound like scattered coins and I know not what becomes of them. As for the other, it is always green like a laurel. 
Some call it the wise, and some the merry tree. Its leaves never fall, but they that get one of them keep a blithe heart in spite of all misfortunes, and can make themselves as merry in a hut as in a palace. Okay, so he's got two options. He's like, yeah. mate, I don't know anything about pearls and, and stuff. Yeah, so <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Just what? what are you talking about? <laughs> Shut up. I know about two <laughs> trees. <laughs> so I'll give you anything you want. How about pearl? Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> don't be stupid now. I know. I can go to a two, one of two trees. One <laughs> is gold. And I can bring you a gold leaf. Was that it? Or did I tell totally you that? Yeah, that's right. Another one was not gold, but made a hut nice. What was it? <laughs> it's not gold, but made a hut nice. Uh, kind of, not really, but kind of. What was it? So, yeah, you're quite right. There's a golden tree, and mm. it gives golden leaves. That, that's, that's it. But the other one uh, is called the... Some call it the wise tree, some call it the merry tree, but basically it has green leaves that never drop. And if you get one of these green leaves, mm. it gives you a blithe heart. Uh, and sort of, you know, despite any misfortunes that might uh, befall mm. you, you'll just be sort of happy. Yeah. Make no, I would happy. suggest uh, that plant might be marijuana, but I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot of drug references <laughs> already in this episode. <laughs> I like it. Um, okay, well, I mean, personally, you can't go wrong with a blithe heart. So you're quite right. And I, I'd also say if, well, I don't know what I don't know what Scrub's going to say, but if you're a cobbler, nobody likes. And you've got no money. And you <laughs> Did suddenly... we say nobody likes them? You've just assumed that. <laughs> I've, I've, I've made an, a, a, an invalid assumption there. I'm really sorry. Scrub. If you're a, a cobbler nobody respects or wants to pay That's for right. Get it right. If you suddenly get a gold leaf and you, I don't know, go to the village post office and you're like, uh, can I trade this for money? They'll be like, yeah. where did you get that? I just, yeah. it's, too, it's too much. It's too Is much. Is it too much? Yeah. So, so I think, you know, just a blithe heart, happy heart. All good. That's the way to go. I'd be inclined to agree with you. I think that's what I choose as well. Because also, you you want the gold leaf in order to have a blithe heart because you think it will make your life easier, right? Quite right. That's why I've always thought, uh, just on a complete tangent, but you know people say, like, oh, okay, if you had a genie to grant you one wish, what would that wish be? Yeah. Uh, you might say this is a sort of folly, but my my answer to that has always been, I would wish to be happy. Because anything else you wish for is, mm. as you say, a sort of your best guess is a means to be happy. So why not mm. just cut out the middleman and get straight there? That is, wi- that is wise. Wise Christmas words. I'm going to ruminate on that and see if there's any holes in your logic. <laughs> yeah, there probably are. But uh, you, so you, you find those holes and um, you crack we'll, see, the story. we'll see what these, uh, <laughs> we, these brothers say. Good Master Cuckoo, bring me a leaf off that tree, cried Spare. Now, brother, don't be a fool, said Scrub. Think of the leaves that are beaten gold. Dear Master Cuckoo, bring me one of them. Before another word could be spoken, the cuckoo had flown out of the open door and was shouting its spring cry over moor and meadow. The brothers were poorer than ever that year. Nobody would send them a single shoe to mend. The new cobbler (laughs) said in scorn they should come to be his apprentices. Oh. And Scrub and Spare would have left the village but for their barley field, their cabbage garden, and a certain maid called oh. Fairfeather, <laughs> whom both the cobblers had courted for seven years without even knowing which she meant to favour. Oh my, there's just 
You've just expanded this story again. <laughs> yeah. You plant a little seed. The cuckoo's off. Meanwhile, yeah. back in the village, the the new fancy cobblers being unbearable to them. Yeah. Patronizing. And there's a, a young maid they're both courting called Fa- <laughs> yes. Fair Feather. Fair and Feather. Lo- and they've got some barley and cabbage on the go again. That's it. That's it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, this story is truly epic and will continue to expand. <laughs> I'm just Excellent. warning you. Excellent. Sometimes Fairfeather seemed inclined to scrub. Sometimes she smiled on spare. But the brothers never disputed for that. They sowed their barley, planted their cabbage, and now that their trade was gone, worked in the rich villagers' fields to make out a scanty living. So the seasons came and passed. Spring, summer, harvest and winter followed each other as they have done from the beginning. At the end of the last... Scrub and Spare had grown so poor and ragged that Fair Feather thought them beneath her notice. Old neighbours oh, forgot no. to invite them to wedding feasts or merrymaking, and they thought the cuckoo oh. had forgotten them too. Oh, when at daybreak, on the 1st of April, they heard a hard beak knocking at their door with a voice crying, Cuckoo! Cuckoo! <laughs> Let me in with my presents! Spare wow. ran to open the door. And in came the cuckoo, carrying on one side of his bill a golden leaf larger than that of any tree in the North Country, and in the other, one like that of the common laurel, only it had a fresher green. Mm. Here, it said, giving the gold to scrub and the green to spare. It is a long carriage from the world's end. Give me a slice of barley bread, for I must tell the North Country that the spring has come. Scrub did not grudge the thickness of that slice, though it was cut from their last loaf. So much gold had never been in the cobbler's hands before, and he could not help exulting over his brother. See the wisdom of my choice, he said, (laughs) holding up a large leaf of gold. As for yours, as good might be plucked from any hedge. I wonder a sensible bird would carry the like so far. Good master cobbler, cried the cuckoo, finishing the slice. Don't be so rude. (laughs) (laughs) That's your brother. (laughs) Your conclusions are more hasty than courteous. If your brother be disappointed this time, I go on the same journey every year. And for your hospitable entertainment, I think it no trouble to bring each of you whichever leaf you desire. Again? Yeah, so it's going to keep doing it. It's going to be an annual tradition. This is, this is a good investment. <laughs> so, I know. A couple of bits of barley loaf or whatever. Yeah. And they're getting magic oh, leaves. Amazing. I mean, you say annual, but he came back... Over a year later, it came back April. It's true. I, yeah, yeah, it seemed to be a Christmas thing, and now it's turned into a, a, a Easter. I don't yeah. know. He got carried away at like a in a hostel in Mongolia. He's loving Sorry, it. Sorry, yeah, I stayed there longer than I meant to. <laughs> Darling cuckoo, cried Scrub, bring me a golden one. And Spare, looking up from the green leaf on which he gazed as though it were a crown jewel, said, "Be sure to bring me one from that merry tree." Aww. And away. Flew the cuckoo. So, they're sticking with what they, what they got. They, think they both <laughs> think they're onto a, onto a winner. Yeah, they're like, are you sure you don't want to change? It's like, <laughs> yeah, this is, this a, is yeah. the million pound price. <laughs> Go 50-50. Do you want to switch? <laughs> <Du-du-dum>. <laughs> yeah. They've stuck, they've stuck. Okay, all right. I'm still team spare. I think he's... Till, I think team spare, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's quite right. This is the feast of all fools, and it ought to be your birthday, said Scrub. <laughs> Did ever man fling away such an opportunity of getting rich? Much good your merry leaves will do in the midst of rags and poverty. I'll give him a break. 
crap. He said, you idiot, why did you go with the green one, you muppets? So he went on, but Spare laughed at him and answered with quaint old proverbs concerning the cares that come with gold, till Scrub, at length getting angry, vowed his brother was not fit to live with a respectable man, and taking his last, oh, wow. his alls, and his golden leaf, <gasps> he left the wattle hut and went to tell the villagers. He left the wattle hut? Yeah. The cuckoo has driven a wedge between the two brothers. He oh, has indeed. No. They were astonished at the folly of Spare and charmed with Scrub's good sense, particularly when he showed them the golden leaf and told that the cuckoo would bring him one every spring. The new cobbler immediately took him into partnership. Mm. The greatest people sent him their shoes to mend. <gasps> Fair Feather smiled graciously upon him. <gasps> and in the course of that summer, they were married. What? <laughs> oh, you know what? I'm Team Scrub. I'm Team Scrub now. You're Team Scrub. Yeah, he, he made the right call. I don't know what I was thinking. You think? It's just a stupid leap. The other one. It's just a leap. Okay, got, so Team Scrub, because he's he's got the girl, he's got the he's got the money, yeah. he's got he's the got, lifestyle. He's got the respect. Yeah, he's, yeah he's exactly. got the cobbling skills now, he's been apprenticed. <laughs> he's living his best life. <laughs> he's living at large. Yeah. Yeah, Spare must be feeling uh, yeah. a bit, bit silly right now. And he's lost Fairfeather, or Fairweather, whoever she's called. It's, you would think Fairweather, <laughs> but it's Fairfeather. Oh, um, wow. So, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's everything he wanted. Yeah. Job, job done. The end? Is that the end? No, Surely. Not what? even close. <laughs> okay, all right, let's crack on then. Okay, so they were married with a grand wedding feast at which the whole village danced, except Spare, who was oh. not invited, <gasps> because the bride could not bear his low-mindedness, and oh. his brother thought him a disgrace to the family. Well, that's a bit, bit harsh. A bit harsh, isn't it? Indeed, all who heard the story concluded that Spare must be mad, and nobody would associate with him but a lame tinker, a beggar boy, and a poor woman reputed to be a witch because she was old and ugly. Oh, God. That is so offensive in one fell swoop. As for Scrub, he established himself with Fairfeather in a cottage close by that of the new cobbler, and quite as fine. There he mended shoes to everybody's satisfaction. Had a scarlet coat for holidays, oh, and, a fat, nice. and a fat goose for dinner every wedding day. Which every I don't wedding. know what that means. What does that mean? <laughs> Darling, we're not going to get married once. We're going to get married every day. Every wedding day. Have a fat day. goose. Every, I don't know what that means. I, I think I because it's, it's all, it all feels to me it's about sort of your level of respect and hierarchy within this little community. And I think he's at the top. So every time there's a wedding in the village, he's bringing yes. his fat goose. I think, you're, I, I think you're probably right. So, yeah, he's, yeah every time that there is a yeah. wedding and he's invited, they have a, a fat goose. He's living, um, he's living it up. I mean, um, Spare must be feeling such an idiot right now. We'll soon catch up with Spare. Great. Fair Feather, too, had a crimson gown and fine blue ribbons, but oh. neither she nor Scrub were content. Oh. For to buy this grandeur, the golden leaf had to be broken and parted with piece by piece, so the last morsel was gone before the cuckoo came with another. Ooh. Spare lived on in the old hut and worked in the cabbage garden. Brackets. Scrub got the barley field because he was the elder. Just, uh, just FYI. That's it, yeah, thanks. Thanks for the sort of legal... Yeah. There was a whole just side story, a subplot, where they had a legal yeah. battle. About who got what, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right, that's good to know. 
Every day his coat grew more ragged and the hut more weather-beaten. But people remarked that he never looked sad nor sour. And the wonder was that from the time they began to keep his company, the tinker grew kinder to the poor ass with which he travelled the country. The beggar boy kept out of mischief and the old woman was never cross to her cat or angry with her children. (laughs) I want to know more about these guys. (laughs) I know. They're just throwing away these lines. Just like, oh, yeah, yeah, by the way. So, every 1st of April, the cuckoo came tapping at their doors with a golden leaf to scrub and the green to spare. Fairfeather would have entertained him nobly with wheat and bread and honey, for she had some notion of persuading him to bring two gold leaves instead of one. But the cuckoo flew away to eat barley bread with spare, saying he was not fit for fine people and liked (laughs) the old hut where he slept so snugly from Christmas till spring. So he's not getting them their leaf order this time. He's getting them their leaf order, but she's kind of, she's trying to curry favour with him and seeing like, next time can you bring two, sort of rather than one? And he's like, no, I'm bringing one. And also, I'm not going to spend so much time with you because I actually prefer it back in the old cottage with with Spare. Fair fair enough. It's getting (laughs) tense. It's getting quite tense. Oh, yeah. Scrub spent the golden leaves and Spare kept the merry ones. And I know not how many years passed in this manner when a certain great lord who owned that village came to the neighbourhood. His castle stood Whoa. on the moor. Okay. It was ancient and strong, with high towers and a deep moat. All the country, as far as one could see from the highest turret, belonged to its lord. But he had not been there for twenty years, and would not have come then, only he was melancholy. The cause of his grief was that he had been prime minister at court. <laughs> <laughs> And this is in, epic. <laughs> so I love it. Like, the universe is expanding with this one. It's amazing. Awesome. And in high favour till somebody told the crown prince that he had spoken disrespectfully concerning <laughs> the turning out of his royal highness's toes. Stop. Stop. <laughs> I'm, pressing the, I'm pressing the emergency exit. Time out. Abort. 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 <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> So, okay. Is this, a, is this a novel you're reading to me? It's quite <laughs> massive, isn't it? It's mental. So, okay. So, the great lord who owns the village has come back. He wouldn't have done so, but he's a bit sad because he was prime minister at court and there was an issue with the royal's toes. That's it. He, okay. he insulted that. He was caught insulting his toes. He, he was caught <laughs> insulting the royal's toes. It was like a sort of, you know, like a hot mic situation where you yeah. didn't think they were recording and he, oh dear, whoops. That's season five of The Crown. That's the, <laughs> exactly. main, the main arc, story arc. <laughs> what did you say about his toes? <laughs> okay, is so, that, that going to be relevant or not at uh, all? I, I don't actually think it's going to be relevant, no. Great, that's a good piece of knowledge. <laughs> it's just a, bit of, just a bit of detail. Uh, and, he, and he also said of the king that he did not lay on taxes enough, <laughs> whereon the North Country Lord was turned out of office and banished to his own estate. Okay. So that's why he's come back to his, his yeah. castle on the moor. There he lived for some weeks in a very bad temper. The servants said nothing would please him, and the villagers put on their worst clothes lest he should raise their rents. Hmm. But one day in the harvest time, his lordship chanced to beat spare, gathering watercress at a meadow stream and fell into talk with the cobbler. How it was, nobody could tell, but from the hour of that discourse, the great lord cast away his melancholy. He forgot his lost office, his court enemies, the king's taxes, and the crown prince's toes, 
and went about <laughs> with a noble train, hunting, fishing, and making merry in his hall, where all travellers were entertained and all the poor were welcome. Hey, so the Count's happy. That's good. The Count's happy. He's Great. happy now. Happy he's as Larry. all about the toes. Yeah, yeah he's fine. <laughs> this strange story spread through the North Country, and great company came to the cobbler's hut. Rich men who had lost their money, poor men who had lost their friends, beauties who had grown old, wits who what? had gone out of fashion, all came to talk with spare, and whatever their troubles had been, oh. all went home merry. The rich gave him presents, the poor gave him thanks. Spare's coat ceased to be ragged. He had bacon with his cabbage, <laughs> and, the <villi> <laughs> 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 and, the and the villagers began to think there was some sense in him. Hey. So the tide's turning for uh, yeah. Frog Spare there, baking with his cabbage. <laughs> Living the dream. <laughs> oh, yeah. By this time, his fame had reached the capital city and even the court. What, there Spare's? Were... Yeah, Spare's exactly. fame, just because he's just... Uh, if you go talk to him, he'll just make you feel better. He's like a... He's a psychologist. <laughs> exactly. He just makes you feel good. <laughs> makes you feel yeah, good. Yeah, he's just got that feel-good factor. There were a great many discontented people there beside the king who had lately fallen into ill humour because a neighbouring princess with seven <laughs> islands for her dowry would not marry his eldest son. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I love all this detail. Oh. So a royal messenger was sent to spare with a velvet mantle, a diamond ring, and a command that he should repair to court immediately. Put Tomorrow this velvet on, stick the ring on, spare, <laughs> and head to court. With haste. Tomorrow is the 1st of April, said spare, and I will go with you two hours after sunrise. <laughs> That's very specific. <laughs> That's very specific. Oh, is that because the cuckoo's coming? Correct, correct. Nice. The messenger lodged all night at the castle. And the cuckoo came at sunrise with the merry leaf. Court is a fine place, he said, when the cobbler told him where he was going. But I cannot come there. They would lay snares and catch me. So be careful of the leaves I have brought you, and give me a farewell slice of barley bread. Aww. Spare was sorry to part with the cuckoo, little as he had of his company. But he gave him a slice which would have broken Scrub's heart in former times. It was so thick and large. And having sewed up the leaves in the lining of his leather doublet... He set out with the messenger on his way to court. His coming caused great surprise there. Everybody wondered what the king would see in such a common-looking man. But scarce had his majesty conversed with him half an hour, when the princess and her seven islands were forgotten, and orders given that a feast for all comers should be spread in the banquet hall. What is he saying to them? <laughs> That's amazing. I, who knows? We don't even know, but it's magical words. The princes of the blood, the great lords and ladies, ministers of state and judges of the land, after that discourse with spare. And the more they talked, the lighter grew their hearts, so that such changes had never been seen at court. Wow. The lords forgot their spites and the ladies their envies. The princes and ministers made friends among themselves and the judges showed no favour. As for spare, he had a chamber assigned him in the palace and a seat at the king's table. Wow. One sent him rich robes and another costly jewels. But in the midst of all this grandeur, he still wore the leathern doublet, which the palace servants thought remarkably mean. One day, the king's attention being drawn to it by the chief page, his majesty inquired why Spare didn't give it to a beggar. But the cobbler answered, High and mighty monarch, this doublet was with me before silk and velvet came. I find it easier to wear than the court cut. Moreover, it serves to keep me humble by recalling the days when it was my holiday garment. 
The king thought this a wise speech and commanded that no one should find fault with the leathern doublet. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> talk about the doublet anymore. Shut <laughs> yeah. no. about Spare's doublet. And they're like, you're the one to... I mean, yes, yeah, yes, sir. <laughs> so things went till tidings of his brother's good fortune reached Scrub in the moorland cottage on another 1st of April when mm. the cuckoo came with two golden leaves because he had none to carry for Spare. Oh, so, he, so he, he's getting his two golden leaves then this time? Yeah, basically because he's not, yeah. he can't go near um, Spare. Yeah, he'll get so snared. Exactly. Okay. So, uh, yeah, they, they've got their wish. They're getting two golden leaves. I'm feeling I might switch back to Team Spare. I'm Do you just, think? just throwing that out there. Are you sort of like <laughs> glory hunting, kind of like? Well, I mean. Going where the success seems to be. That's one way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think actually my heart was always with Spare and I was just bamboozled mm-hmm. by Scrub's hard logic. So Yeah. Yeah, forgive me. I, I think I think blip. you need to I it was a blip. I think you need to stay strong. I think you I think right. really you're you're team spare, aren't you? So let's Yeah. Let's stay strong. Team spare. Thanks, man. Think of that, said Fairfeather. Here we are spending our lives in this humdrum place and spare making his fortune at court with two or three paltry green leaves. What would they say to our golden ones? Let us pack up and make our way to the king's palace. I'm sure he will make you a lord and me a lady of honour, not to speak of all the fine clothes and presents we shall have. Scrub thought this excellent reasoning, and their packing up began, but it was soon found that the cottage contained few things fit for carrying to court. Fairfeather could not think of her wooden bowls, spoons and trenches being seen there. Mm. So she's a big fish in a little pond, but when it's like going to court... They're not going to fit in. It's a different level altogether. Yeah, and she's very shallow, so she can't handle it. She's all about appearance, yeah. She yeah. Can't, can't handle that. Scrub considered his last and all's better left behind, as without them, he concluded, no one would suspect him of being a cobbler. So, putting on their holiday clothes, Fairfeather hmm. took her looking glass and Scrub his drinking horn, which happened to have a very thin rim of silver. <laughs> Oh, I know, because it's like there's a tiny bit of silver on it. So he yeah, thinks that's so it the looks a little got. bit sort of posh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which, <laughs> and each carrying a golden leaf, carefully wrapped up that none might see it till they reached the palace, the pair set out in great expectation. How far Scrub and Fairfeather journeyed, I cannot say. But when the sun was high and warm at noon, they came into a wood, both tired and hungry. If I had known it was so far to court, said Scrub, I would have brought the end of that barley loaf which we left in the cupboard. Husband, said Fairfeather, you shouldn't have such thoughts. How could one eat barley bread on the way to a palace? Let us rest ourselves under this tree and look at our golden leaves to see if they are safe. In looking at the leaves and talking of their fine prospects, Grub and Fairfeather did not perceive that a very thin old woman had slipped from behind the tree with a long staff in her hand and a great wallet by her side. (laughs) What an image. A massive wallet. (laughs) (laughs) Bulging with cash. (laughs) Noble lord and lady, she said, for I know you are such by your voices. Though my eyes are dim and my hearing none of the sharpest, Will you condescend to tell me where I may find some water to mix a bottle of mead, which I carry in my wallet, because it is too strong for me? (laughs) As the old woman spoke, she pulled out a large wooden bottle, such as shepherds use in the ancient times, 
corked with leaves rolled together and having a small wooden cup hanging from its handle. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just trying to process all the detail. It's a lot of detail. But I think you've got the idea. She's got a bottle with a cup attached to it. (laughs) It's got a little thermos flask. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I'll have a drink with you. This is my wallet. (laughs) Perhaps you would do me the favour to taste, she said. It's only made of the best honey. I also have cream cheese and a wheaten loaf here. If such honourable persons as you eat the like. Scrub and Fairfeather became very condescending after this speech. They were now sure that there must be some appearance of nobility about them. Besides, they were very hungry. And having hastily wrapped up the golden leaves, they assured the old woman they were not at all proud, notwithstanding the lands and castles they had left behind them in the North Country, and would willingly help to lighten the wallet. The old woman could scarcely be persuaded to sit down for pure humility, but at length she did, and before the wallet was half empty, Scrub and Fairfeather firmly believed that there must be something remarkably noble looking about them. This was not entirely owing to her ingenious discourse. The old woman was a wood witch. Whoa. Her name was Buttertongue. Buttertongue? <laughs> yeah. Of course her name was Buttertongue. <laughs> I think that's quite possibly the best name I've heard in the entire podcast we've been doing. Do you think Buttertongue? Buttertongue the witch. Buttertongue is amazing, Come isn't on. it? That's incredible. That's brilliant. So, and I love her as well. She's like, oh, hello. Do you want some cream cheese? <laughs> yes, yeah, my, my massive She's got wallet. cream cheese, a loaf of white bread, and some mead. Oh, by the way, the I'm Buttertongue the Wood Witch. <laughs> I know. What? Yes. And all her time was spent in making mead, which, being boiled with curious herbs and spells, the power of making all who drank it fall asleep and dream with their eyes open. More drugs. <laughs> I know. It's Come a druggy tale. <laughs> She had two dwarfs of sons. One was named Spy, and the other, Pounce. Pounce and Spy. Spy and Pounce. Hello, I'm Spy, and he's Pounce. And my mum spends all day making me. That's all she does. Wherever their mother went, they were not far behind. And whoever tasted her mead was sure to be robbed by the dwarfs. So they're a little team of uh, con artists. They are, yeah. I like it. So Scrub and Fairfeather sat leaning against the old tree. The cobbler had a lump of cheese in his hand. His wife held fast a hunk of bread. Their eyes and mouths were both open. But they would... (laughs) 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 They've been got by butter tongue. Yeah, they've, she, they've been given some strong <laughs> stuff. Well, that's tri- from my wallet. Like, oh, <laughs> <man."> <laughs> so their eyes and mouths were both open, but they were dreaming of great grandeur at court when the old woman <laughs> raised her shrill voice. What ho, my sons, come here and carry home the harvest. No sooner had she spoken than the two little dwarfs darted out of the neighbouring thicket. Idle boys, cried the mother. What have you done today to help our living? I've been to the city, said Spy, (laughs) and could see nothing. These are hard times for us. Everybody minds his business so contentedly since the cobbler came. But this is a leathern doublet, which is paged throughout the window. It's of no use. But I brought it to let you see I was not idle. And he tossed down Spare's doublet. No! with, With the merry leaves in it which he had carried like a bundle on his little back. 
What? What? Plot twist. Plot twist. Roll credits. So he's gone in and stolen the, the doublet, the doublé, that um, keeps him humble. And he's got the leaves. Yeah. Oh. So I mean, what, what an extraordinary turn of events. Yeah. Man, that spy did a good day's robbing. What about Pounce? Oh, yeah, he did. What's Pounce been up to? I can't remember if we find out. Let's find out. I don't think he's been up to too much. All right. Well, what's Spare up to? <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, find, we'll find out in so due course. So many characters to keep on top of. To explain how Spy came by it, I must tell you that the forest was not far from the great city where Spare lived in such high esteem. All things had gone well with the cobbler till the king thought it was quite unbecoming to see such a worthy man without a servant. His majesty, therefore, to let all men understand his royal favour towards Spare, appointed one of his own pages to wait upon him. The name of this youth was Tinseltoes. <laughs> oh my God. You should have told me I should have bought a pen and paper. <laughs> You've got to keep track of all this complicated story. Wait, Tinseltoes is Spare's sort of servant boy. Yeah, it's his own page. Okay. Yeah, exactly. It's got his own page. Yeah, not servant boy, sorry. Well, yeah, come here, servant boy. Come here, Tinseltoes. Tinseltoes. That is, it's a lot of toe action in this um, story. <laughs> a lot of stuff about toes. There is a lot of stuff about toes in this. Also, uh, how does... I, okay, I think I know the answer, but how does sort of tinsel toes stack up to butter tongue in your mind? Not even a, a shadow. Not close. Yeah, it's Nothing. butter tongue, isn't it? Yeah. Butter tongue all the way. Come on, what's tinsel toes going to be so doing? He's got a page called tinsel toes. He's got a page called Tinsel Toes. <laughs> no, he was the seventh of the king's pages. Nobody in all the court had grander notions. Nothing could please him that had not gold or silver about it. And his grandmother feared he would hang himself for being appointed page to a cobbler. It's oh, quite extreme, isn't it? That is pretty strong. <laughs> <laughs> the shame of it. Oh, not to a cobbler, not old tinsel toes. <laughs> not. As, as for spare, if anything could have troubled him, this token of his majesty's kindness would have done it. The honest man had been so used to serve himself that the page was always in the way, but his merry leaves came to his assistance, and to the great surprise of his grandmother, tinsel toes took wonderfully to the new service. Some said it was because Spare gave him nothing to do but play at bowls all day on the palace green. <laughs> Yet, one thing grieved the heart of Tinseltoes, and that was his master's leathern doublet. But for it, he was persuaded. People would never remember that Spare had been a cobbler. And the page took a deal of pains to let him see how unfashionable it was at court. But Spare answered Tinseltoes as he had done the king. And at last, finding nothing better would do, the page got up one fine morning earlier than his master and tossed the leathern doublet out of the back window into a certain lane where Spy found it and brought it to his mother. That's just all sort of backstory to explain how he's got hold of the, the leather yeah. doublet. That's great. Okay, good. Thanks for that. Thanks for that little tinsel toes side <laughs> Yeah, a little, little side story about tinsel toes. But now we're back in the woods. Okay. That nasty thing, said the old woman. Where is the good in that? By this time, Pounce had taken everything of value from Scrub and Fairfeather. The looking glass, the silver-rimmed horn, mm. the husband's scarlet coat, the wife's oh, gay no. mantle, 
and above all the golden leaves, which so rejoiced old Buttertongue and her sons that they threw the leathern doublet over the sleeping cobbler for a jest mm. and went off to their hut in the heart of the forest. Oh, man. So, they, oh. so, okay, so they're going to wake up, basically, without yeah. all their stuff, yeah. but with this, with this leather coat. I'm just wondering the implication of that. Is uh, Spare going to think he stole it or something? I don't know. Do you know what I mean? What, think that he himself? Oh, that Spare would think that Scrub stole it. Yeah. I see. Uh, maybe. Uh, wow. I see. Got you thinking. Got you thinking. Cap on. <laughs> the sun was going down when Scrub and Fairfeather awoke from dreaming that they had been oh, no. made a lord and lady and sat clothed in silk and velvet, oh, feasting boy. with the king in his palace hall. It was a great disappointment to find their golden leaves and all their best things gone. Scrub tore his hair and vowed to take the old woman's life, while Fairfeather lamented sore. But Scrub, feeling cold for want of his coat, put on the leathern doublet without asking or caring whence it came. Scarcely was it buttoned on when a change came over him. He addressed such merry discourse to Feather that, instead of lamentations, she made the wood ring with laughter. Both busied themselves in getting up a hut of boughs and in which Scrub kindled the fire with a flint and steel, which together with his pipe he had brought unknown to Fairfeather, who had told him the like was never heard of at court. Then they found a pheasant's nest at the root of an old oak and made a meal of roasted eggs and went to sleep on a heap of long green grass which they had gathered, with nightingales singing all night long and the old trees about them. This is the life. Isn't it? Oh, it's Perfect. What do you need? It's a it's a simple life, but it just sounds yeah. so lovely. With all the stress of going to court, if your your exactly. cup's got enough silver on it, exactly, they've forgotten all yeah. about that. They're just having a lovely yeah. time in the woods. So it happened that Scrub and Fairfeather stayed day after day in the forest, making their hut larger and more comfortable against the winter, living on wild birds' eggs and berries, and never thinking of their lost golden leaves or their journey to court. So they're not going to court. They've just given up on that. They've plan. forgotten about that. They don't really yeah, care because they're content. Yeah, rubbish. Yeah, whatever. Let's live on Mother Nature's bounty. Exactly. Birds, eggs, and berries. <laughs> and grass. <laughs> In the meantime, <gasps> Spare had Meanwhile. got up and missed his doublet. Tinseltoes, of course, <laughs> said he knew nothing about it. The whole palace was searched, every servant questioned, till all the court wondered why such a fuss was made about an old leathern doublet. Yeah. That very day, things came back to their old fashion. Quarrels began among the lords and jealousies among the ladies. The king said his subjects did not pay him half enough taxes. The queen wanted more jewels. The servants took to their old bickerings and got up some new ones. Spare found himself getting wonderfully dull and very much out of place. Nobles began to ask what business a cobbler had at the king's table, and his majesty ordered the palace chronicles to be searched for a precedent. The cobbler was too wise to tell all he had lost with that doublet, but being by this time somewhat familiar with court customs, he proclaimed a reward of 50 gold pieces to any who would bring him news concerning it. Scarcely was this made known in the city when the gates and outer courts of the palace were filled by men, women and children, some bringing leathern doublets of every cut and colour, some with tales of what they had heard and seen in their walks about the neighbourhood. And so much news concerning all sorts of great people came out of these stories that lords and ladies ran to the king with complaints of spare as a speaker of slander, and his majesty, 
being now satisfied that there was no example in all the palace records of such a retainer, issued a decree banishing the cobbler forever from court and confiscating all his goods in favour of Tinseltoes. What? I know, so he's, he's been chucked out. His luck has changed oh. dramatically. And Tinseltoes is in pole place. Oh, he is, old Tinseltoes. <sighs> it's a turnout for the books, isn't it? <laughs> I could not have seen that coming. <laughs> Oh, man. That royal edict was scarcely published before the page was in full possession of his rich chamber, his costly garments and all the presents the courtiers had given him, while Spare, having no longer the 50 pieces of gold to give, was glad to make his escape out of the back window <laughs> for fear of the nobles who vowed to be revenged on him and the crowd who were prepared to stone him for cheating them about his doublet. You thought I was fickle. Yeah. Blimey. What are you going to do? It's not good. Well, he's, he's, he's on the run now. Okay, he's, he's suddenly a fugitive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Didn't expect that, did you? And this is the start of the story. This is the setup. <laughs> the life of Spare on the run. There we go. Chapter one now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was the blurb. <laughs> the window from which Spare let himself down with a strong rope was that from which Tinseltoes had tossed the doublet. And as the cobbler came down late in the twilight, a poor woodman with a heavy load of faggots stopped and stared at him in great astonishment. What's the matter, friend? said Spare. Did you never see a man coming down from a back window before? <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Why, said the woodman, the last morning I passed here, a leathern doublet came out of that very window, and I'll be bound you were the owner of it. That I am, my friend, said the cobbler. Can you tell me which way the doublet went? As I walked on, said the woodman, a dwarf called Spy bundled <laughs> it up and ran off to his mother in that forest. That's good. He's got all that knowledge. I know. Andy. He knows his name. He like, knows what direction he was heading in, knows where he was going. Like. He knows who he's rendezvousing with. <laughs> nice. Honest friend, said Spur, taking off the last of his fine clothes. Brackets. A grass green mantle <laughs> edged with gold. Oh. oh. This man's got some pretty fine threads. <laughs> I'll give you this if you will follow the dwarf and bring me back my doublet. It would not be good to carry faggots in, said the woodman. But if you want back your doublet, the road to the forest lies at the end of this lane. And he trudged away. Determined to find his doublet, and sure that neither crowd nor courtiers could catch him in the forest, Spare went on his way and was soon among the tall trees, but neither hut nor dwarf could he see. Moreover, the night came on, the wood was dark and tangled, but here and there the moon shone through its alleys. The great owls flitted about and the nightingales sang. So he went on, hoping to find some place of shelter. At last the red light of a fire, gleaming through a thicket, led him to the door of a low hut. It stood half open, as if there was nothing to fear, and within he saw his brother Scrub snoring loudly on a bed of grass at the foot of which lay his own leathern doublet, while Fairfeather, in a kirtle made of plaited rushes, sat roasting pheasant's eggs by the fire. A kirtle? I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. Also, can we just... The, the, the F word you've been saying a few times, let's just, that's a bundle of sticks. Yeah, we should probably mention that, just in case you... Uh, yeah, it's a horrible word. But deeply offensive, yeah. Olden times, it means a bundle of sticks. Okay. Maybe we'll go yeah. with a bundle of sticks from now on. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Shall I just replace the word with bundle of sticks if I come across Please. it again? 
fine. Please. Good evening, mistress, said Spare, stepping in. The blaze shone on him, but so changed was her brother-in-law with his court life that Fairfeather did not know him, and she answered far more courteously than was her wont. Good evening, master. Whence come ye so late? But speak low, for my good man has sorely tired himself cleaving wood, and is taking sleep, as you see, before supper. She's changed her tune with spare, hasn't she? I know, just because he looks a bit sort of, uh, looks a bit fancy, so she's changed her tune. A good rest to him, said spare, perceiving he was not known. I come from the court for a day's hunting and have lost my way. So he doesn't recognise her? He recognises her. Ah, okay. She doesn't recognise him. Nice. So she, he knows exactly what's going but on. But he's, so he's, not, he's not told her that no. he recognises her. Got it. No, exactly. Sit down and have a share of our supper, said Fairfeather. I will put some more eggs in the ashes and tell me the news of the court. I used to think of it long ago when I was young and foolish. Did you ever go there, said the cobbler? So fair a dame as you would make the ladies marvel. You are pleased to flatter, said Fairfeather. But my husband has a brother there, and we left our moorland village to try our fortune also. An old woman enticed us with fair words and strong drink at the entrance of this forest, where we fell asleep and dreamt of great things. But when we woke, everything had been robbed from us. My looking glass, my scarlet cloak, my husband's Sunday coat, and in place of all, the robbers left him that old leathern doublet which he has worn ever since and never was so merry in all his life. Mm. Though we live in this poor hut. It is a shabby doublet, that, said Spur, taking up the garment and seeing that it was his own, for the merry leaves were still sewed in its lining. It will be good for hunting in, however. Your husband would be glad to part with it, I dare say, in exchange for this handsome cloak. And he pulled off the green mantle and buttoned on the doublet, much to Fairfeather's delight, who ran and shook Scrub, crying... Husband, husband, rise and see what a good bargain I've made. Whoa. <laughs> Tables keep turning. They do. It, the fortunes Epic. keep flipping back and forth. Scrub gave one closing snore and muttered something about the root being hard. But he mm. rubbed his eyes, gazed up <laughs> at his brother and said, <laughs> so he's been dreaming about some roots. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the idea is that immediately he lost the... Feathers. He's already like complaining and. Ah uh, yes, that's yeah. it. Yeah, it's like it's immediately had an effect. Yeah. So he rubbed his eyes, gazed up at his brother, and said, "Spare, is that really you? How did you like the court? Now have you made your fortune?" That I have," said Spare, "and getting back my own good leathern doublet. Come, let us eat eggs and rest ourselves here this night. In the morning, we will return to our old hut." at the end of the moorland village, where the c- Christmas cuckoo will come and bring us leaves. Aww. Scrub and Fairfeather agreed. So in the morning they all returned, and found the old hut the worse for wear and weather. The neighbours came about to ask the news of court, and see if they had made their fortune. Everybody was astonished to find the three poorer than ever, but somehow they liked to go back to the hut. Spare brought out the lasts and alls he had hidden in a corner, Scrub and he began their old trade, and the whole north country found out that there never were such cobblers. They mended the shoes of lords and ladies as well as the common people. Everybody was satisfied. Their custom increased from day to day, and all that were disappointed, discontented, or unlucky came to the hut, as in old times before Spare went to court. The rich bought them presents, the poor did them service. 
The hut itself changed. No one knew how. Flowering honeysuckle grew over its roof. Red and white roses grew thick about its door. Moreover, the Christmas cuckoo always came on the 1st of April, bringing three leaves of the merry tree. For Scrub and Fairfeather would have no more golden ones. So it was with them when I last heard the news of the North Country. The end. That was amazing. That was that was one of the most epic stories we've ever had. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? It was, it was a long one. It was, it was amazing. There was so much going on. There were bits where it was yeah. like, meanwhile, this has happened back here while that was going <laughs> on over there. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah, and I, really, I already couldn't really cope with it when it was expanding to the wider village from their hut <laughs> I know, and i was thinking when you were saying that i was thinking oh you have no idea <laughs> it was great i mean first of all that's yeah first sort of irish fairy tale yes fantastic it was so like there was so much going on but it was yeah. so like a good it was like a fairy tale like an epic fairy yeah. tale adventure but it had the most awesome names of the characters. Oh, yeah. The names, the names. <laughs> Go on. Well, I mean, I know your favorite, but just rattle off some of the names that we've come across there. Scrub and Spare. Scrub and Spare. Yeah. Classic. Fairweather. No, what's she called? Fairfeather. Fairfeather, yeah. Fairfeather. <laughs> Tinsel Toes. Tinsel Toes. <laughs> the most Christmassy name ever. <laughs> <laughs> Tinsel Toes. I love it. And obviously, then, of course, Spy and Pounce. That's it. And their mother. Butter tongue, butter tongue, butter tongue. The wood witch. I Come just, on. I think, I think she, she's such a smooth talker. Her tongue is like butter. It's just like, yeah. She just talk anyone into anything. Yeah, she's like they're a little con team. I love it. They're just oh, they like are, yeah. tricking people with their, um, with her mead that she makes all day. <laughs> yes. I specifically said all day she makes the all honey day. mead. But I love the fact that. Mm. She had, she's making this sort of magic mead, which she can use to sort of mm. drug people. But she's also got bread and cream cheese. Like, yeah. <laughs> By the way. She's got it all sorted out. So, uh, just a fantastic uh, amount of characters and mm. colourful names. And then so much detail, like with the Count being sad. And this is the reason he's sad. And then the King is like having all these sort of uh, issues with the dowry that his uh, daughter-in-law has. <laughs> it's like, what? And, um, but really, all of this is because two poor brothers live together. So it starts, two poor yes. brothers live together. And it ends that two poor brothers live together, but they're happy. So all yeah. of that is to go through this sort of uh, test in this uh, life journey to learn the lesson yeah. that 
like wealth and status aren't actually important. Exactly. Right? And that's the no, lesson exactly. of and the they Christmas both kind of they, they sort of learned it at different points in the tale, I suppose, mm. and in different ways, but they sort of basically arrived at the same point by the end of the story. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting... I don't really know the situation at the end, because I assume, obviously, <laughs> Fairfeather is still married to, uh, to yeah. Scrub. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So Spare is just a bachelor that lives with him. Yeah. <laughs> well... <laughs> so he, di- he didn't get the girl, but, you know... Well, funny, a little bit like um, a little bit like the actual brothers Grimm, Jacob and Wilhelm and yeah. Dorchin, who yeah, uh, yeah if with the one wife and then the bachelor, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, actually, I mean, really, therefore, actually, that first little bit of gold was the most valuable because he then learnt to be a proper cobbler. He he got the skills. He was apprenticed yeah. to the fancy guy from the city, and he also got the girl, as you say. So, in a way, he. By choosing the gold in the first place, he That's gets true. the skills that later on allow them to live well because it ends with them cobbling well. That's right. That's right. And he's got um, the it's got fair girl feather. of his dreams. So actually, he chose well with the gold. He did choose well with <laughs> so the gold. So we've just completely undermined the moral <laughs> that we just established. But then in terms of the moral, I particularly liked when he gets robbed by um, Buttertongue. And and that moment where he wakes up, yeah, because they're they're like they're so stressed about going to the capital, even though it's like they think that they want to go there, but they're really stressed about it because their clothes aren't quite right. Yeah. But then when they wake up and they've lost all their clothes, you know, that's really like, oh, that's horrible. What are they yeah. going to think? But actually, because they've got the special uh, leaves and they're feeling good about life, actually, it's better. Yeah, that, no, it's that, better. That struck they're not me. not stressed about it, yeah. That yeah. really struck me, yeah. That it's all about a question of kind of managing your your wants, or I, I guess sort of... I think there's an element, or there's a big class element in that as well. Yeah. It starts with, you know, they're poor and not respected, and then one brother kind of becomes, uh, like, the big fish in the small pond. He gets yeah, respect sort of middle in class. the village. Yeah, in that small community, he's respected. But then when the other brother yeah. goes to court, he then feels that he's not at the right station in life. And then they try and... Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of yeah. kind of... Um, there's a lot of class in there. And also with the... They kept saying all the courtiers and the count are, they were encouraging the king to raise taxes and stuff like that. Yes. So there's a lot... And, and, all, and they were all sort of... Like, there was all that... Um, status in your clothes as well like the the shabby vest Completely. or whatever yeah 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 the only other thing i thought really was um in, in some ways it's it's like a massive version of the elves and the shoemaker because the elves and the shoemaker is about a poor cobbler yeah true who gets some help selling his shoes and then becomes a rich cobbler and in a way, that story was some guys who were struggling to sell shoes. True. And then they end up selling a lot of shoes. It's just like a lot more other stuff happens in between. <laughs> yeah. But the start yeah. and the end point are the same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. Uh, what did you What did you think of like uh, the Christmassy like sort of elements of it? Well, as we, yeah, as we were saying at the beginning, that whole sort of Christmassy setup. Yeah was just so like cozy and Christmas, even though it was describing a sad scene in a way. I mean, until the, yeah. the cuckoo came out, um, it was so lovely. It was so, oh. all of that was very wintry in my head and forests and yeah. castles and 
It was great. How about you? No, totally. I, I love that scene. I love the idea of snowing outside. Mm. The three of them are sharing some sort of bread and yeah. beer and stuff in front of the fire. You've got the holly. It's just lovely. Yeah. What a lovely scene. Did the cuckoo... He came back every year, right? That's right. So if you order another of the normal leaves that just give you a blithe heart, surely you only need one of those leaves. I think it's just the more the better... The more the merrier. Yeah, I think so. Quite literally. It's funny that Spare, he kind of, he did seek that kind of life of higher class out as well. Because even though he had the feather, he still went to the royal court, didn't he? Yeah, it is interesting, yeah. And it's almost like he then learned the lesson that um, Scrub learned later. Even though Scrub kind of comes across as the slightly more... Materialistic one. Yeah, yeah. That's true. I think mm. he went to the court, though, because he just made people feel mm. good. And so that they wanted it there. And he was oh, like, oh, yeah. He became famous for it. That was it. Yeah. yeah. It was great. I, I absolutely loved it. What a wonderful Christmas message. What yeah. a crazy bunch of characters. <laughs> um, what an epic adventure. And cobblers as well very Christmassy elves and the shoemaker some Christmas cobblers with a Christmas cookie excellent choice I loved it oh I'm glad you liked it I I could tell you just a a couple of very small things about oh please what about the story like about the well not so much about the story but um, it's by a woman called Frances Brown Mm. she was born in 1816 and died in 1879 so big crossover with the time of the sort of timeline of the brothers Grimm. Mm -hmm. uh she was the seventh child of 12 and when she caught uh smallpox at the age of 18 months old she was left blind for the rest of her life uh so she's this very famous uh irish poet and novelist who was completely blind uh, and she used to bribe her siblings to read to her by doing their chores for them, and then they would read to her. Wow. And uh, she obviously got into the, the literary world. And, um, yeah, this was published in a book uh, in 1856, and it's called Granny's Wonderful Chair and It's Tales of Fairy Times. <laughs> oh, fantastic. <laughs> Just a few little snippets, though. That's amazing. Well, a lot of the um, fairy tales are kind of framed around the idea of like an old grandma type figure That's telling right. stories. You've got like um, Mother Goose and those sorts of things. So she she wrote, did she write this story or was it like a folk tale? That's what I'm not sure. There's very little online about this. I, I'm imagining she wrote it. I'm just going to say well that be. out loud. Yeah, I think it does a bit like a sort of... Hans Christian Andersen sort of it yeah. feels a bit authored, yeah. I'm a I'm a fan. Francis Brown, did you say? Francis Brown, yeah. Ah, oh. and Fairy Good Times. What was it? Of course, <laughs> Fairy Good. <laughs> it's called Granny's Wonderful Chair, and it's tales of fairy times. <laughs> That's great! Wow, I'm gonna look out for that. That was fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Uh, it's been it's been a lovely uh, Christmas story. I think you deserve. A little top up. Oh, yeah. I think (laughs) I'm running very low on my port. Well, that was an absolute joy. Thank you so much, Adam, for the Christmas cuckoo. 
now we're going to reveal the winner of our season three 2020 competition. So that's right. Since we started uh, back up again in right at the end of September, I think it was with the Frog Prince, we've been running a competition um, in collaboration with the uh, vintage fairy tales and kids book publisher Pook Press, who've very kindly given us a copy of Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty, uh, illustrated by Arthur Rackham. And we've also yes. thrown in a limited edition of one Grim Reading poster, which Adam yes. has designed. He's taken uh, our podcast artwork and he's put it against the book and it's looking lovely. To win, we asked people to tell us what has been the greatest injustice in the history of Grim Reading. And people got back to us. They did. We found out uh, in our last competition that even reading out a few messages can take like an hour. So what we're going to do is we're just yeah. going to read a couple of messages here. And then I think in our um, patron podcast, Grim Fables, we're going to read out the rest of the messages. I think that's, that's our right. plan. That's the plan. So since we started the podcast, we sort of look back at some of the scores we've given over the, over the last couple of years. And... Uh, I would say there's an element of regret with some of them, and uh, we, we think there are some serious injustices here and there, and so we thought we'd let you guys have your mm-hmm. say as well uh, and see what you think the, some of these injustices are, stories that have been scored too highly or too low. Absolutely, and so thank you to everyone who entered. It was very illuminating, some of the responses. And me and Adam have had a little chat and we've kind of we've kind of agreed on what the greatest injustice is from your messages. So, yeah, we, you've, you've convinced you've us. convinced us. Well, to start with, a few of the stories that came up that people complained were a bit too low. The scores uh, include the wolf and the seven little kids. Yeah. Old one. Um, Godfather death, which yeah. uh, underrated quite underrated juniper tree even someone said i think someone said that was too high there were a couple of messages about the mouse the bird and the sausage being too yes. low yes i mean so that was obviously very early on that's episode two yes when we and had people are saying it it suffered as such because we had no idea <laughs> but there were two kind of main ones that stood out which were yeah. the story of the youth who went yes. forth to learn what fear was and the girl without hands so these yes. were two that uh, it seems like a lot of people think were big injustices. And I think Adam and I agreed. I, I think we'd agree with that, yeah. yeah. So here are a few messages about why the story of the youth who went forth to learn what fear was with 16 points, so fairly respectable, deserved mm-hmm. higher. So we had a message from Christopher James, who said, Dearest Adam and Matt, I am very pleased that you've given me the opportunity to express my utter disgust at the malfeasance inflicted upon the greatest Grimm's fairy tale, the youth who went went forth to learn what fear was. I recently re-listened to this masterpiece and choked into my coffee a number of times listening to Matt read out some of the greatest quotes in all of Grimdon. These include, Good God, what a blockhead this brother of mine is. I will soon (laughs) polish him off. (laughs) Give up your foolish chatter. Look, there is the tree where seven men have married the rope maker's daughter and learned how to fly. I love that, yeah. Suddenly, hop, hop, it laid on him like a mountain. (laughs) That is one of my favourites. I think this is one of my favourites. This is the final quote Christopher's given us. Then half a man came down the chimney and fell before him. 
Hollow, he cried. I have money enough, but your balls are not quite round. <laughs> That's quite an extraordinary couple of sentences. <laughs> this is excluding a quote so profound that it would fit seamlessly into an episode of Grim Fables. He who wants to be a sickle must bend himself early. Ugh, so profound, I don't even know what it means. It is revealed to be possibly the first example of the comedy horror genre, one of the best candidates for a film of the review tale so far, and possibly the first ever written fairy tale using the haunted castle trope. This episode also had two of the greatest grim facts to date. The etymology of the word dollar from the Germanic currency Tala, from the German meaning someone from the valley, as well as the difference between folk tales, oral, and fairy tales written. Imagine my unbridled horror when Adam awards a paltry 8.5 and Matt awarded a ludicrously insulting 7.5. Mm. Apart from that, love the podcast. Keep up the work, chaps. <laughs> Changed his tune. I mean, good points. Made some good points there. Very good points. And this is, this is one we talked about a lot. It may be my favourite. Uh, Absolutely I think it agreed. might be yours as well. It, it's just such a good story. Absolutely agreed. So on a similar line, we had a message from Alexia. So, about this contest. The greatest injustice, maybe not of all, but certainly to me, is the story of the youth who went forth to learn what fear was, being in fifth place with a score of 16. Although it is in good company, among stories such as Rumpelstiltskin and The Pink, I believe it should at least be in second place, maybe replace Gambling Hansel, which didn't stand out as second place material to me. The story of the youth made me laugh and inspired me to take my AP art concentration about the art of storytelling, featuring the youth and many other grim stories. I listen to an episode of this lovely podcast daily, and this has got to be one of my most played. Thank you for making a podcast that brings me such joy. I hope you have a great one. Alexia, smiley face. Oh, what a, what a lovely message. <laughs> Absolutely um, lovely. And we're really, yeah, honoured that we inspired you to... Um yeah, to focus on some of these grim tales in your art, so that's great. And also making a point not just about the story of the youth being too low, but mentions uh, mm. Gambling Hansel being too high. Not the only person to make this observation. That's the thing, right. So I, I mm. feel personally attacked. Because, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> because that, is, that was the highest scoring score of series two, and that's because yeah. I gave it a nine. I gave it my highest score of the series. Yeah. It's How do you feel about a bit that, of a theme, possibly. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think, yeah, interesting that a few people have picked up on that. So, yeah. okay, so I would say, personally, I, I agree with Adam. Like, I think the story of the youth, personally, is a 20 out of 20 story. It's one of yeah. the best we've it's ever read. So good, yeah. However, the competition is about greatest injustice. Correct. And it was you, Adam, who kind of convinced me that maybe a bigger injustice than the story of the youth gang 16 was the girl without hands because the girl without hands got 8.5 yeah which is uh, uh, only just above half yeah and it's not half as good a story it's just not it, it yeah deserves far more than the 8.5 that it got i think so possibly the youth deserves a couple more points but but Girl that has deserves double the points it got. Exactly, exactly. So I think you convinced me on that point. So we're yeah convinced by that. So we've had a few messages about uh, the girl without hands. One here from Jenna, who also mentions gambling Hansel. 
Jenna says, my opinion of the biggest injustice on your scoreboard is the high rating of Gambling Hansel, especially in comparison to the low rating of The Girl Without Hands. Gambling Hansel didn't appeal to me when I read through the tales myself, and I was surprised you both liked it. It follows a main character who is no good, and I don't root for. It's very moralistic, as it is basically a whole story to condemn gambling and explain why people gamble. The story doesn't have a lot going for it, except its imagery of death stuck in a tree. It definitely has that Which going is pretty for good. it. No, yeah. However, not only is Gambling Hansel too high in the scoreboard, but it's too far above The Girl Without Hands. The Girl Without Hands has a beautiful ending, and for once, the husband of the heroine is a good man. He travels seven years to find his lost wife. The imagery is just as good in this story as in Gambling Hansel. We are shown a handless girl eating a pear off a tree, and I'll never forget those silver hands. And let's not forget that child named Sorrowful. He should have his own story. It's unfair <laughs> to put one of these stories so far above the other, especially when the girl without hands has such a kind main character, a good husband, a healthy mother-in-law and daughter-in-law relationship, and at the end of the story, a complete and happy family. Excellent points, Jenna. Yeah, again, some very good points. Excellent points. Um, and that is a great image. I totally forgot about the girl without hands eating pears off a tree. <laughs> That's such a great image. I love that. So, yeah. So, basically, it's actually, it's been, it was really hard to pick a winner. It, it was. I mean, it was really hard to pick a greatest injustice and then to pick yeah. a winner. Exactly. But I think we can now reveal who has won the competition. We can indeed. And it was very close. But I think we were both totally convinced by the arguments and the force of the arguments as well. Yeah, uh, there's some very good points well made with this message. So the winner of our 2020 competition, who will be taking home a lovely book and poster, <laughs> is Victoria Young. Victoria Young. Congratulations. So this is the winning message from Victoria Young. The Girl Without Hands. Dear Matthew and Adam, how can The Girl Without Hands be one of the lowest scores? Mm, good question. Which is to say an 8.5 for The Girl Without Hands is surely your greatest injustice. And here is my reasoning. One, first of all, this story is properly grim. I mean, for heaven's sake, as everything a grim story should have, an injustice done to a nice young girl, a super-duper evil guy that meddles in everything, an act of quite insane and horrifying violence, and, of course, a marriage to a king. An absolute classic right here. Mm. Two, this also has some of the most iconic moments ever, specifically the following two. So I guess this is 2.1. Two <laughs> and two B. When the girl is literally eating the pears off the trees with her mouth. <laughs> the imagery is so vivid there. Oh, and the king notices because he counts his pears every day. It's true, it's true. I mean, and 2.2, her son is named Sorrowful? I mean, come on. That is just absolutely wow. Yeah. Three, this story is like four stories in one. First, we have the bit with her father and the devil and the hands being cut off, of course. Then she runs off and eats the pears and marries the king. Then she has the baby, but the devil interferes so that she has to run away. Then seven years pass and the king finds them and they live happily ever after. Magical. Stunning. It's so fun when the story just keeps going and we get to see the characters develop more. Because that isn't always the case in the Grimm stories. I just think 
that is such an injustice to give this absolute whirlwind of a story an 8.5. It deserves a much higher score than that. But anyway, thanks for everything. Keep it grim, Victoria Young. Well, <laughs> you're not wrong, Victoria. It made some excellent points there. And it's yeah. great to kind of... Because, um, again, The Girl Without Hands is relatively early on in, in the run of, of episodes we've mm. done. So it's quite a while back now. And to relive some of those moments from the story, I've kind mm-hmm. of forgotten about... It is a, it's a pretty good story. It does n- mm-hmm. not deserve the paltry uh, score of 8.5. It absolutely doesn't. I think so. I agree. I think it was quite hard for me because I'm really tempted to say it was the youth that was the greatest injustice. Yeah. Because I think that's one of my favorite stories. Uh, and The Girl Without Hands is not necessarily one of my favorite stories, but it's definitely, if you look at the list of story scores and you see that it's one of the lowest, it's right at the bottom because it has a lower score than stories like The Three Languages, The Water, Nixie, Jorinda and Jeringle. Uh, it's, it's too low. It's in 17th place. Yeah, so I that's think crazy. That is, that, that's what uh, swung it for me. So, yeah, congratulations, Victoria. Yeah, you will get both of those prizes yeah. sent to you. So, congratulations. Yeah. Excellent message. We'll, we'll get in. We, we need your address, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we'll be in touch to let you know. Um, we'll, we, yeah. <laughs> we'll sort it out. You'll get it. You'll get it. You know. Don't worry about Don't stress, don't about, stress it. We'll about it. We'll, we'll sort it. We'll sort it. Sort it. It's, it's Christmas time. Come under on. Under control. <laughs> Matt's, Matt's casually <laughs> pouring himself another <laughs> glass of pour. Like, it'll be fine. It'll Everything's be fine. Everything's under control. Cheers. Oh, Cheers. Dear. Well, what an absolute blast this has been. It's been lovely. It's Again, we, we do all say it's not quite the same as as uh, being together but as sort of virtual get togethers go it's been pretty nice hasn't it it's been yeah, a nice christmas party absolutely it's been an absolute joy i mean had all my christmas treats uh yeah. i've got to hang out with you and hear a lovely story i've got my amazing present my russian fairy tale oh boat. yeah my lovely bauble so yeah actually along those lines if you don't want the christmas grim fun to end i'll <laughs> head over to uh our uh Grim Fables Patreon podcast, where yeah, we're gonna have a, a we're gonna have a little bit more Christmas there, which will probably be Christmas Eve. That will come out, I think. So yeah, the Christmas fun doesn't end here. Well, it's been a weird year. Uh, it's been <laughs> to be honest, it's been a weird year. I mean, yeah, un- understatement. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's been a bit weird, isn't it? It's been weird. Twenty twenty. What was that all about? That was a bit weird, strange. (laughs) Well, here's, you know, here's hoping to uh, a better year next year. Let's hope so. It's been quite tough, to be fair, for a lot of people. And we haven't even had it that bad. Um, No, exactly. So I'm just happy we got to have a nice little party. Yeah, exactly. And um, I know that podcasts that I listen to have helped um, sort of keep me sane over this last year. So we're glad you guys are still listening and sort of still getting involved. So that's nice. Absolutely. And thank you so much to everyone who messaged with the competition. As we said, we're going to read out uh, the rest of the messages elsewhere. Um, and also, uh, just thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, it yeah. means the world. And a particular thanks to our patrons, which uh, really yeah. keep us going. So that is amazing. Thank you, guys. Yeah, it's been a big help. So thank you very much. There's a few more things, Adam. Right. Oh. So the Christmas party's carrying on over on Grim Fables. Okay. Sure. Right. Two. Speaking of patrons, at the beginning of series three, 
I mentioned that we're going to have a super duper special episode for patrons. We're going to read a fairy tale not from the Brothers Grimm and do a kind of grim reading episode on it. That's right. It didn't materialize, but it's very much at the forefront of our minds. And hopefully early next year, we're going to have our first special episode. And that will hopefully become an ongoing series where we look at fairy tales outside of the Brothers Grimm. Oh, yes. So that's coming. The other thing is, do you remember last year... (laughs) Your Christmas present from me was uh, Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters, the movie. Do you remember this? I do remember that. And you may have noticed that we never watched it. (laughs) It's funny that. It's been a whole year. So I think, if I'm not mistaken, Adam, we've both agreed that we're going to watch. It's going to be our Christmas movie. And then we're going to give it a review. Correct. Probably in our uh, January Grim Fables podcast. That's the plan. So it's not over yet. Christmas at the <laughs> Grim Castle. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah, I hope you have a lovely festive season wherever you are. And uh, most importantly, keeping safe and healthy. Same. And we will see you in the new year. Probably towards the end of January. Yes. Where we're going ha- to be kicking things off uh, with, again, with a, a little special episode. So sneaky. Watch this space. Oh, I'm saying <laughs> keeping your cards close to your chest there, Matt. I see how it is. No, they don't call me butter tongue for nothing. Else. They don't. They don't call you butter tongue. No, they don't. They, they just don't call nobody, you nobody does. Uh, nobody calls me nobody that. Nobody's done that. Nobody. Please, please call me butter tongue. Well, I think the Christmas uh, cuckoo is sort of t- tip tapping at the door, so um, you better go uh, let him in, grab my leaf. All right. We'll say hi to him for me. <laughs> I will do. I need to hear about his travels. <laughs> well, until next year, keep it grim. See you then. Bye. Bye. If you'd like to support the podcast, please head over to patreon.com slash grimreading to find out how, and also see the range of benefits available as a thank you from us. You can, of course, email us at grimreadingpodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at grimreadingpod, and we're also on Instagram and Facebook at grimreading. You can find us on Podbean, podbean.com slash grimreading, and we also have a website, grimreading.wordpress.com. Keep it grim.